0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Renewal through making the cross fully known. But I want to focus this morning on its origin and the purpose The reason I do that is because the cross on which Jesus died is so familiar and obvious that it sounds a little bit insensible to think that you should teach Christians about what the cross is. We use it all the time. You see it here over me. You see it outside there. You see it around my neck. Some people have it on their ears. When you move out, you see it a lot. When the baby is being baptized or a child, we mark the child with the cross. When a person is dying, we anoint them with the oil with the sign of the cross and after they are dead we bury them in a coffin with the cross we mark the grave with the cross in Christian institutions schools, hospitals the cross is always there in our homes, it's there, we inscribe it on certain items, on cloth, so many that it becomes something, some ordinary thing. Jimmy, in his series about renewal, says that we are not making new things, but we are going back to the basic things. Picking on that, I thought the cross is one of it. But most of that stuff, we get it through the creed. The creed was made in the second century. Up to today, as Christians, it's a document of our statement of faith. So, every word in the creed, and when you go to the Greek, in fact, even the articles, is theologically heavy. It requires to be unpacked because every Christian generation must cultivate the faith for themselves. We thank God for the saints before us, but that's not an excuse that we do nothing and they follow these things just loudly as we can or as we do. So probably this is a big series that we can continue on next year, but I'm giving a hint There is so much we can talk about the cross. The cross has become our Christian symbol, the emblem, the logo, if you like. It's very important. It's very significant. It lies at the heart of the gospel. It lies at the heart of what Jesus has done. It's the only thing that Jesus commands all his disciples to remember. Not the resurrection, not the healings. Not the many other things he has done. So the people who chose the cross to be our emblem took it from Jesus. And they were right. This is what Stephen Nail says. There is a certain danger in which we are all liable to run. Of thinking of the cross in a rather abstract and generalized way. In fact, merely as an alternative term for suffering, difficulty, or persecution. To think in those terms is untheological and less than Christian. When we use the term the cross, it must always be in relation to our Lord. And the significance of the cross. In the church's life. Can it be grasped. Only if we think of him. And what his cross meant. And why and how it was. And why inevitably. It presents a pattern. Which in different degrees. And in different ways. Will be repeated in the life of the church. Until the time. Of the end. So I want to look at this text to give us a bit of a glimpse as to the origin and the purpose of the cross. Lord, send me your Holy Spirit. Enable me to speak, and enable your people to listen. Help my voice out of exhaustion so that I can be as clear as possible. Amen. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the scribes, be killed and rise after 3 days. This passage is very short but is intense. It contains with it a moment for the disciples. It was a moment of shocks, one after another, and after another, and after another. When I was reflecting, I said, oh, Jesus, give them a moment. You know, this was the first time the disciples heard from Jesus that the Messiahship of Jesus involved suffering and the death. They were shocked, and the death is coming from where from the chief priests. And the scribes. What? And this comes after Peter, just in the previous verse 29 of chapter 8, had already confessed about Jesus. You are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus responded, when you look at Matthew's version, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, to say the Messiah must suffer and be killed was beyond belief. It was contrary to the idea of what a Messiah should be. And in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the understanding of a Messiah is that that is a person who is God-anointed, consecrated and empowered for a particular purpose and therefore is highly regarded and respected. Now to hear of death, a dying Messiah, they couldn't get their head around it. There was deadly silence among the disciples. The spirit that had enlivened them by Jesus' words to Peter after telling him that you are the Messiah, crumbled at that moment. Now, I don't think the disciples are different from us. That's a fact for all humanity. In most times, we come to follow Jesus, but there is something in us, particularly what I would call the self. The self in us is a very stubborn thing. Let's look at how it goes. Many people tell me why they have left the church. Because I have conversations with people out there. Oh, when I tell them I'm a Christian, I am a minister, they say, oh, I was once a Christian, but now, damn it. Why? Oh, my son died of cancer. I couldn't hold that. Some would tell me, oh, I lost my position where I was working. And I didn't understand why God did that to me. I've been praying to buy a house but it has been elusive for all my life. How can I trust God to support me? So petty things. We put an agenda to God that is of the self. I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us, but there are times when he chooses not to because he wants to shape what is important in my life, what is important in your life for eternity. But at the same time, that's coming from what a very unhealthy pride in success and achievements. And these things are not a spiritual pathway for me to simply ride smoothly such that when moments of sickness comes, I become very unhappy and I don't want to see anybody come near me. When actually that's the moment when you need more support, when I need more support. So the disciples, like all the Jews, expected a Messiah to win for them a political liberation. <laughs> and it turned out to be that that's not God's agenda. God is not bringing a liberation that make you, ah, we are free people, aren't we? No, that's not what God is doing. So, having heard this, Peter, very active, took Jesus aside. He spoke openly about this, and Peter took him aside, and they began to rebuke him. The gospel also don't record what he said, but I guess that probably... This is what he might have said. Something like this Lord, you know you are our leader. And we have placed all our hopes to follow you. How can you wish yourself bad luck? How do you think it will make us feel? Stop being negative, be positive. In other words, we are, you have been the one Israel has been waiting for a long time. And now we are excited that now the Romans will be driven out. We are going to have these positions. You remember the two brothers when they come to Jesus and they say, when you sit in your throne, can my brother be on your left and uh, I can be on your right? That was the kind of thing going in the South. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and they said, "Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about the things or about God's concerns, but human concerns." Jesus perhaps absent by what Peter said. says loudly and stressingly to ensure that every disciple that was there was listening. Get behind me. Now when you look at that review, the first bit of it is, is sort of like Bringing Satan in and rebuking Satan. Not Peter. He's not calling this very simple, the very simple, In just a short moment ago, that son of Jonah, you are the rock on which I'm going to build this church. And then the next minute calling him Satan. No. He is referring to the devil, the deceiver. It is the same. This is not the first time he is tackling the devil. When you look in Matthew 4 8 11, when he was tempted in the desert, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all this. If you will really fall down and they worship me, then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan. For it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve you only. Now you see how the devil tricks the self kingdoms, splendor, riches. If you want to see what splendor is, let the American president visit this visit us here or maybe our head of state the queen that's what the the slightest splendor we can glimpse here but that's what every human being is inclined to so Satan takes Jesus and tempts him and now he wants to take Peter and then using Peter to tempt Jesus again Now, the problem is this, that these are the things that destroy us, that drag drag us away from worshiping God in honesty and in freedom and joy because these small, small things, even when we gather as congregation, these things still don't leave us. They keep coming. They don't go away. They are stubborn. They are within us. And Satan is always very close. Close to you? Close to me? And particularly when that moment happened, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, and then Jesus speaking those beautiful words to Peter, Satan must not have been happy. He came straight away. But part two of the rebuke is about their hopes of, The freedom of Israel from the Romans. Like any other Israelite or Jew, Peter too was hanging to that hope. And if you see, during the time Jesus was taken to heaven, just before that they asked, Lord, are you going to give the kingdom to Israel? That means it kept going until the last minute when Jesus was going. And that's why he said, I have to send you the Holy Spirit to help you guys. Now, these are people who walked with Jesus. And we can't think we are different. We are just struggling with the same issues. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. In this verse, Jesus introduces another shocker. In fact, two shockers. And even more serious than the first one. First, it is one thing to suffer and be killed. But it's a different thing to die on a cross. Jesus Jesus did not spare these guys for a minute. During this time. He really wanted to drill it in. Now, the thing that happened was that during the first century, the attitude to the cross is this. The ancient world, crucifixion was regarded with horror. It was the most humiliating form and the most cruel method of exclusion and the practiced in human, ever practiced, practiced in human history. Even up to today, the cross remains the most cruel thing. That can ever be done to anybody. There is a lot of details in the way it's done. Because the aim is to inflict might, pain, and long time for suffering. Until the person spends days on the cross before they can die. Crucifixion was not a Roman invention. It appears to have been adopted from one of the colonies. Thank God we don't know those people. But they must have been very barbaric. But when the Romans saw it because of their hunger to colonize, they adopted it only for slaves, And an extremely serious crime. But they must be foreigners. If you're a Roman citizen, you commit the same crime, they don't do it to you because it's too horrific. So the disciples knew this. What on earth? What on earth is Jesus talking about? Have we had a misplaced faith in somebody who is going to give us this shame? Dying a criminal death in the public, stripped in, naked, whipped, lust. How? It was a shocker. The Romans resented it for their own citizens. And Jesus was talking lightly and happily about it. You know, the last bit says, and then I will rise after the three days. But because of the shock of the cross, what it is, they couldn't take that bit in to stabilize their troubled hearts. And, of course, before the crucifixion, uh, there is a quote here, the Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. They usually consisted of 39 lashes, and but frequently a lot more than that, depending on the mood of the soldier applying that. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip, Would strike the flesh, these balls would cause deep bruises of contusion, which would break open with further blows. And the whip would have pieces of sharp bones, that's when taking it from the animal, you leave a bit of the bones and sharpened as well, which would cut the flesh severely. That was Roman, but the Jews, as in Deuteronomy, you can see it up there, they had this, according to the law, when somebody commits serious crime, they are hanged. So the cross and the tree, they just made sense of it and they said it's the same thing. The Jews also did not like the hanging of a person. If anyone is found guilty of an offence, says Deuteronomy, deserving the death penalty, and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave the corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land of the Lord. The land the Lord, your God, is giving you as an inheritance. So, in essence, the cross was mocked. It was ridiculed. Now, for somebody to be worshipped, you know, in the polytheism world of that time, everybody was taken proud of how great and powerful their God is. And now, here we have a Messiah who is going to be publicly shown to be weak. And being unable to save himself. How will we, as his disciples, stand in the public eye? If anyone wants to follow me, let them deny himself, take up his cross, and they follow me. This is the second shock. Huh? <laughs> Not only for him, but also us. Uh We made a terrible mistake to begin following this guy. Perhaps I wish I would go back to day one. I wouldn't have made the decision to do that. That's what I felt was going on in their head. In those days, it's not like today where carrying a cross just means uh, putting up with a very nagging wife or husband, (laughs) or somebody who is not going well with you in your workplace, or maybe a very, very bad boss at your workplace. No. It was real being taken to Excuse. That is what this context was. This is what was spoken just that literally meaning that. Because the Christians then were being hunted down during that time. Going to be crucified, to die in the public, a slow death, painful death, stripped naked in the eyes of everyone. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. That's what it meant for them to carry the cross. And those days, now we make the cross fancy, golden, whatever. No, that, that's, that, that's not what it's meant to be. I think that's where the church probably got it into error. We make it a big issue. It, I wouldn't mind if the meaning is contained. You can have it in any form you like, or I would have it in any form. But when it loses meaning, then it becomes something else. That's problematic. However, if I lose my life and I accept it, this is... This is what Jesus is saying. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of my, me and the gospel will save it. Now, the other shocker here is this, that not only is the cross desirable for you or for my disciple, what it means that if you actually want freedom, if you want liberty, If I want freedom, I want liberty. But at the same time, I want to try and avoid the cross. I hold to myself, asserting my rights and entitlements. Then that's when I lose it. I become spiritually dead and even it has physical ramifications. However, if I lose my life and accept it as not my right, it's not mine, it's given to me, and I accept the fact that I have to share it with my neighbor, share it with the others, without asserting a right, lived with the love of the gospel, lived with the attitude of not, not exalting myself up, but humbling myself, then I have full possession of it. That's when it takes shape. So God's way of freedom and liberation, shockingly to the disciples, is through of via death and resurrection. Not through military might, not through feeling very strong. It's humility. In all, this is an offer I have come to give you people. You can choose. Because even if God is God, God is saying in essence that I am the mighty God, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything that there is. But when I come to you, humans, I give you an option. You can choose. This is the option. The way of the cross or the way of the self? Where you raise yourself up and then fall. Jesus does not impose. But we are invited, friends, that we look at these things critically and then we weigh the reality of your own experience of life. Because we are not speaking to a vacuum here, we are speaking about reality. And then we can choose Jesus and choose him with all our heart. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and the sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So the Christians who chose the cross as a symbol insisted to keep it despite its shame and the mockery. They understood that the idea came from the mind of Jesus so that they could not give it up or change it for a lesser offensive symbol. They would have said, we use the dove as, you know, the Holy Spirit coming down. That's less offensive. People would be happy. After all, they love to see animals. Ooh. They would have chosen the empty tomb when the stone was rolled away. That's powerful. The dead coming to life. They had many, many options to choose from. But they chose this one where they were mocked Beaten, discarded, but they hang on to it. They didn't waver. That's why we have it today. We didn't we didn't make it ourselves. We didn't decide that the cross is our symbol. It is about 280. AD. That's when it happened. But through that time up to today. It has survived. And we have a duty and responsibility that we lift the cross of Jesus up and not let it down. By all means, despite the pressure, remove anything that is Christian. It's like we talk about tolerance here, but we actually tolerate other religions and the very Christianity that has been the fabric of our society it's the one being aimed at, to be driven out. And we, the Christians, we say, okay, no problem. Yes, it's all right to say, okay, but in your heart, don't let it go. In my heart, I shouldn't let it go. If they don't want us in the public sphere... Let's go into our homes. Because the first Christians, when they were suffering, when I went to Rome, I was taken down to the catacombs. And they told me this was where the Christians worshipped. They would say, Oh, we are just going down there to have uh, an anniversary of our late someone. Oh, come with your Bibles, come with your songbooks, come with the drum. Come with everything. Down. They are very deep. I don't know how those people did it. On this side, there are dead people, and here they are worshiping. That was how it was. But I think we are not yet to that extent. <laughs> yeah, we can do things. In conclusion, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, says about the cross. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first cross suffering which every man, and let me add woman, must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. It is that dying of the old man and the old woman which is the result of his encounter with Christ as we embark upon discipleship we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death we give over our lives to death thus it begins the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God fearing and happy life but it emits us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man and a woman, he bids him, come, come and die. So I don't think that Christians have been faithful in doing this. We haven't been faithful friends. Even myself, I feel I haven't been faithful. I haven't died yet completely to myself. That's why I ran from Sudan to come here. But if I can use my coming here for God's glory, then praise be to God. But if I come here and they say, oh, this is a secular world, oh, oh, you can do that, you can do that. You know, that. uh, It's it's a curse. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So let's pray. Let's pray that God can help us. God can help us understand the cross. There is a lot more to say about the cross. I said it could be serious. But I just want us to, to feel what our Lord Jesus Christ went through. In the other sections, you would come to see that I have done all this on your behalf. you're meant to be the one. I am supposed to be the one. The Lord says, no, I'm going to take it on your behalf. And for that, we can praise the Lord. And for that, we can go back to that last bit that the, the disciples ignored. After three days, I'm going to come up. That's where the power comes back forcefully with nothing that can stop it. That's what we aim, but we don't force it our way. We have to let God work his way. Let him work his way in your life. Let him work his way in my life and everything will move smoothly. We will not fear. We will not fear the ever-secularization of our society. No, it's just for a moment. Things are going to flip, and people are going to realize that we have left something precious, and that's why we are suffering. And things will return. Let's pray. Let us give up. Let us not be intimidated. Let us not see ourselves as few. When they tell you, come to your place, don't show your cross, put it on. And then see what they do. I don't think they will chase you away. (laughs) Let people know you are a Christian in your workplace and they can say, oh, we know Sarah and she has been very good here. Now we can understand why she is like that. It is sends something that disturbs people. But to hide it away while we allow our Muslim brothers to put on their hijab and whatever attire they have. No, let's be treated equally. And that would be a glory to God for for the the sake of the gospel. But you are at the forefront. If you want prayer, please, there are people who will be praying for you over there. But as I conclude, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the generation of people who thought that the cross should be our emblem. And as we look at it, indeed, it comes from you. Lord, as we have heard, it's very easy to walk over these things. And they see it as a simple thing. See it as something that is obvious. See it as something as is light. But when it actually hurts you so much, hurting you for our sake, hurting you because of our sins, hurting you because of our weaknesses. We thank you, Lord of heaven and the earth, that when we went wrong, You had so many options to do, including even wiping us out. But then you chose to send your son to die for us. Dying the most brutal death that can ever be known in the hands of human beings. Help us to take this in seriously, so that in it, as He says, we can truly find freedom and truly find healing for ourselves. To the glory of Your name. Amen.